uh, July, <coughs> July 21st, 2023. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2. We're doing expository walk through the book of Galatians. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. And again, to to pray and to ask the Lord to bless his word to the hearts of those whom he has given ears to hear, uh, that through the word he may be glorified and his people may be edified. I'm going to go back a little bit in Galatians 2.4 uh, to pick up kind of the, the context here. He said in two four, and because and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy our spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So Paul speaks of uh, false brethren, who would bring into bondage those who had already attained liberty in Christ Jesus. And the bondage that he spoke of was the circumcision and observance of the Old Testament law. The liberty he speaks of was the freedom to be found in Christ. Because uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's... That's going to be kind of unconditional, folks. It's not like if you're a good boy or whatever on any given day. Listen, if the if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, there is liberty in you. Whether or not you know it or not, whether or not you appreciate it, whether or not you exercise it, another thing. But there it is. Now, we're going to pick it up, Galatians 2.14, where he said, And when I saw, that is, false brethren, that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as the Jews do? And then he draws this correlation here in verse 15. He says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now, Paul equated the truth of the gospel as being necessary to walk uprightly. So if one walked then, not according to the truth of the gospel, they would not be walking uprightly. It could be regardless of anything else, regardless of history or what anything else. The gospel was a new thing in Paul's time, obviously. Not well received by the traditional uh, Jews of the day, but there were some who did see it for what it was. Now, further, there has to be an understanding that regardless of one's background, uh, whether Jew or Gentile, regardless of that, 
the requirement for the new birth is the same, except a man be born again. He should not see or enter the kingdom of God. And that's in John 3, talking to Nicodemus. So the truth of the gospel is observed from a different perspective and a different source than the Old Testament law. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So grace and truth, okay, if it came by Jesus Christ, uh, what do you have before then? You had the law. Then Paul says, we, Jews by nature, as opposed to the sinners of the Gentiles. Now, I don't think Paul was inferring here that the nature of the Jews was perfect. But what he does here is he acknowledges the historical context of Israel, and I don't think we want to ignore that as we as we look at not only Galatians, but we'll see this conflict between Jew and Gentile repeatedly throughout the New Testament. But that's the historical context of that. And Paul kind of explains this in Romans 4. And I'll read from Romans 4, 1, beginning there. And he's going to go back to Abraham. Everybody goes back to Abraham. The Jews that believed in Jesus in John 8, they went back to Abraham. Okay. John is picking it up. Excuse me. Paul is picking it up in, in Romans 4.1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, then he has whereof to glory but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and that was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 4 of Romans 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. It's the attitude, well, I did this, so you owe me. Grace is totally different than that. Well, I didn't do nothing, and you still gave me life. Yeah, and we'll equate that because that's what Jesus does when he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking about that. Why is it called a new birth? Why is it called a birth at all? Because in either, either instance, whether it's a new birth or your fleshly birth, you didn't have nothing to do with it. I used to... Ask people when I uh, would preach, I would ask them if they remember the trip down the birth canal. No. no, Nobody remembered that, okay? You don't remember anything before that, and probably don't remember anything like two or three years after that. Okay, so... Uh, It's by grace and not by works. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his what? His faith is counted for righteousness, not his works. Belief, faith. Romans 4, 6. Even as David also described, 
the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness, not works. Verse 10 in Romans 4. How then was it reckoned? What condition was Abraham in when this happened? When he was in circumcision or when he was in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So this promise was given before he was circumcised. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believed, even when he was uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe, even though they're not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. So even though the law prescribed circumcision and it eventually happened with Abraham, yet Abraham believed prior to the fact. And that is the faith that carries on and carries over. Verse 13 of Romans 4. For the promise that that Abraham should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law. The promise didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, that pretty much destroys any any principle or idea that you can you can gain it through obedience to the law or obedience to regulations or or whatever. It's if if it was if that was true, then that would frustrate grace. It would also basically negate the the efficacy of the sacrifice of Christ. On the cross. Now, with, there's further clarification of this, uh, and in Ephesians two. And I'll read this verse eleven through twenty-two. It's rather lengthy, and uh, feel free to follow along. Ephesians two, eleven through twenty-two. And you, it, you know, Ephesians two, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. Dead people don't do anything. They're dead. They have no animation. They have no spirit in them. Verse 8 of chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, not out of yourself, doesn't come from you. It is the gift of God. So that's what we're talking about. In verse 11, Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, parenthetical statement here, 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Okay, clarification and end of parenthetical statement. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In times past, Gentiles in the flesh. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh. How? Not by your works, not by your good deeds, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. The, the, the law was, uh, which was against us, it was contrary to us, and he took it out of, out, out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's Colossians 1, 21 and 22. So we'll go back to Ephesians 2, 16. So that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, and that is the hostility between the two. Because he's talking about both. And he came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were nigh. And I'm thinking about the woman at the well, Samaria. Well, he said, I, have to, I, have, I must need to go to Samaria. He had an appointment, but he didn't tell the, the, the others what that appointment was about. So he went and he preached peace to you that were afar off, to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Only Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. In him, that is in Christ, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So going back to our text in Galatians 2, now the, the commonality sometimes between the, the, the uh, epistles are are evident because a lot of them were written by the Apostle Paul. So he, he breaches some of these, these subjects uh, frequently in different epistles. That's why I go and refer to different places, not to confuse but to argument what, what he's saying in a particular place. So uh, Galatians 2.16, you know, the, the old phrase, uh, 
we'll get to that in a minute. The devil's in the details kind of things. But they see these little words, by and of and through and all that stuff, we're going to look at them specifically. I look at them all the time because the translation sometimes is uh, different. Verse 16 of Galatians 2, knowing that a man is not justified by, the, the Greek there is ex or ek, meaning out of or from or origin. He's not justified out of the works of the law, but by, and that word is dia or through. Okay. See the difference, even though they're both translated in the English by, they're two different Greek words, meaning having different meanings. But by or through the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by, and that word is, is again, ex or out, being justified by or out of the faith of Christ. Okay, get this in your head here. You're not justified by what you understand. You're not justified by what you uh what you appropriate unto yourself. You're not justified by what you do. You're not justified by what you don't do. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by or not out of the works of the law. You see, they stand in positions of, uh, of, of opposition that we might be justified by or out of the faith of Christ and not out of the works of the law. For out of the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Even applicable to Orthodox Jews today, for, for out of the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's still true. I leave the truth of that for you to wrestle with. If you have difficulty with it, you have to take that up with God. I'm just telling you what it says. Obedience to the works of the law did not justify, did not clear one of their guilt before God. Listen, inherent depravity, we call it total hereditary depravity. Um, it's the T in the... In the <laughs> In the tulip word, total hereditary depravity. Everybody has it. It's a it's an affliction, terribly common. But what it does do, it puts all of unregenerate humanity on equal footing. Everybody's in the same boat. And that footing is condemnation. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. The quickening of the spirit, the new birth, does not cleanse the biological body in the sense of making it holy and without sin. A trip through the last half of Romans 7 will point that out. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. The biological is the biological. The spiritual is the spiritual. There's no intermingling of the two. Consider this. I mean, we're looking at the historical context here as well. 
while the Gentiles had only their inherent sin to contend with, the Jews had also the tradition of the fathers as a roadblock to be overcome. But then if you had a Gentile who was a polytheist or whatever was worshiping false gods, then he also had that to ever overcome. Now, the idea of worship is common to both. But it is the object and the benefit of that worship that comes into focus in Christ. The object and the benefit of that worship. Galatians 2.17, but if while we seek to be justified by, that word is N-E-N, it's translated in Christ. Okay, but if while we seek to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? God forbid. So and when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, he spoke plainly. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Paul spoke of this again when he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, the treasure obviously is the spirit, the earthen vessels being our physical body. Galatians 2.18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And this the reference here, I believe, I don't think he's talking about his own personal sin, for he knew he himself had not that power and could not effect such a deliverance unto himself. But I think he's talking about uh, his, his disassembly of the Old Testament law as being an effective mode of worship in light of the sacrifice of Christ and the deliverance thereof. So he's not interested in building that again. Okay, and he's talking about the, the deceivers coming into the body and preaching uh, the Old Testament law and circumcision and things such as that nature. Uh, he, he says if, if he were to attempt to go back to Judaism, he would make himself a transgressor. And this brings up the point of what we saw in Ephesians 2 where Christ had broken down that middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. And it refers to the veil of the temple being torn from top to bottom at the crucifixion of Christ. And that was the veil that separated the, the holy place from the holy of holies. In Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, in two, from the top. To the bottom. Nobody did that. That's just what happened. He has made both one. And that was symbolic of that. And further in Matthew 27, then the earth did quake and the rocks rent or split. If one had proclaimed deliverance from a thing and spoke of its glory but then went back and tried to rebuild the old way, he would indeed be a transgressor. Not only that, he would be well, what we would refer to speaking out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. Now, Galatians 
for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. So here's Saul of Tarsus being a Pharisee, steeped in the tradition of the law of Moses, being well-versed in it, in its entirety. He found in it nothing that would compare to the glory and deliverance the gospel brings to those who hear it. He found no new creation in the law. Even though the law did speak of such things, it spoke of them as something that was yet to come. Uh, Galatians 2.20 is one that I committed to memory a long time ago. But uh, precious things are said here. Listen to what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. The term crucified means to impale in company with. That's what it means. To impale in company with someone. So I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. And some people look at that and they say, that didn't even make sense. Well, it does if you know what he's talking about. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by or in. That word, that word by is in, E-N. In the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified with Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Let's go back to Romans 6. 6. Paul's going to hit on it again here. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Christ. Hence, I am crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So when he said, our old man is crucified, is put to death with him. For he that is dead is what? Freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we, sh we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. If our old man is crucified with him, and that old man is dead, then death, death hath no more dominion over him, and sin has no more dominion over he that is dead. In Romans 8, 1, uh, Romans 8 is a good chapter, by the way. Uh, there is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from what? The law of sin and death. 
for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. What he says in Galatians 2.20, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Romans 6.11 Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For sin shall not have dominion, shall not rule over you. I'm in Romans 6.14. Sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Being then made free from sin, liberated and exempted, you become the servants of righteousness. But now, being made free from sin, this is Romans 6.22, being made free from sin and become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now being made free from sin, Paul said, I am crucified. I'm impaled in company with Christ. I, I want to recommend this uh, kind of off the subject here, a, a hymn to you. It's by Daniel Whittle. The name of the hymn is Christ Liveth in Me. Uh, I think you'd enjoy it, even if you just read the lyrics. But it's it's a nice hymn. You, you, it sticks in my mind frequently, but might be a blessing to you anyway. Now, contemplate what Paul says. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me should cause and effect. He loved me because he loved me. He gave himself for me. Paul draws a personal application here. In this verse, he says, me, me, not us, but me. Paul saw this. He was convinced. I think when the Lord struck him blind for three days, on the road to Damascus, I think he showed him things. And I think that's obviously one of the things that he saw. So Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. You know, Paul does refer to us in other places. But here, this is a personal application. He loved me. And he gave, he surrendered himself for me. As in, his love for me paid my death penalty for sin. And since death is what I earned, the wages of sin is death. But his love for me paid my death penalty for sin. And that is one of the ways that we have been made free in Christ. And I, I think if you think about the Day of Atonement, in the Old Testament. Two goats were selected. Uh, one of the goats 
uh, by lot was chosen and he was he was killed and his blood was was uh, taken into the holy place for the sins of Israel first and secondly uh, the high priest for his sins and the other goat was uh, the priest laid his hands on the head of the other goat and confessed the sins of Israel and then it says that he was that other goat was sent by the hand of a fit man a day's journey out into the wilderness and let go okay and a lot of people say that you know that here's a, here's my idea of the correlation here the what the goat that died and had his blood shed that's a propitiation for our sins okay the the goat that got taken out in the wilderness that was the expiation of our sins so there's the payment for it but there's also the removal of it and it was right there on the day of atonement okay so when when you're made a new creature in christ jesus that's exactly what happens he paid the penalty for your sins and he also removes your sin as far as the east is from the west galatians 2 21 i do not frustrate the grace of god for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Frustrating the grace of God means you disesteem it. You seek to disannul it. You violate it. And that happens when we think that righteousness comes by any other means than the grace of God. No matter our works, our position, our popularity, our income, or social standing, regardless of our offering, regardless of the praise of men, or the diplomas on your wall, or whatever your title might be, or your stature, nothing brings you one whit closer to righteousness. It comes either by, it comes neither by, the, the word is neither, excuse me, it comes neither by the law, not by anything else than simply the unmerited favor of God through Jesus Christ. I hope God blesses his word to your heart today. And Lord willing, we'll pick it up in Galatians chapter 3, next lesson. Thank you for listening. May God bless you in his mercy.